You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. When Jesus arrived on the Mount of Olives, he paused at a little village called Bethpage after a 15-mile hike from Jericho. And there he secured a donkey and her young colt, and he began his descent down into the Kidron Valley. And if you look at this area, this is a image of the Mount of Olives, looking at it from the old city. And you can see it's a very steep drop, and we'll take a look at the road that Jesus traveled in in a couple of minutes. But just behind this tower here, Hebrew University, it would have been the village of Bethpage. And so that's where Jesus began this journey, and that's where really history began to be changed. Because the way Jesus entered served as a message. And the things that Jesus proclaimed about himself and proclaimed about his kingdom were absolutely stunning. They were bold, they were unexpected, and that's why very few people believed. But as a follower of Christ, we know, we know how important the message is. We know that the message was needed, and the message is simple, that Messiah has come. And those who believe in him will never die. And so this week will be a time when God will be talking to us in different ways. And maybe you're in a position where you just never believed the message. Then I would ask you, do you know that Jesus can change your life? That Jesus can offer you eternal life? If you don't believe that, open your heart to what God might have for you. And if you do believe it, maybe you want to be open to submit more fully so you can experience more of God, more of his joy, more of his contentment that he's offering. Because Jesus is so worth it. And on this day, he was announcing himself as Savior of the world. And that's why this announcement changed everything forever. And so we're going to track with this narrative, and we're going to do it in the book of Matthew. And if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible, phone, or tablet, Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1, we use the ESV version. Normally, we have Bibles in the the racks in front of you, but because of COVID, we've asked you to bring your own. If you can, we've got it on the screen for you as well. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. Now, in this account, we'll see that these oppressed Jews were hungry for a king. And that Jesus, not so subtly, showed that he is the king. That was what this announcement is all about. He even did it through miraculous signs. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, he was rejected by the very people that he came to save. So Matthew sets the scene here in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. And that, that image of the Mount of Olives is so important because it's no coincidence at all, but that's the place that Jesus began his journey. Luke 19 tells us that's the place where Jesus stopped and turned and he wept over Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that this is the place that Jesus ascended to his father when his ministry was over. That's according to Luke 24. And the place where he's likely to return in John 6. 
So it's a very important place, both historically and prophetically. And his return, of course, will be the climax of this story. And I want to just give you hope that he is coming back. That part of the story is the return of Christ. He will take those who believe in him with him forever. And that's the hope of the believer. And as Christians, we know that sometimes life throws curveballs at us. Maybe you've heard the word cancer. Or you are experiencing the loss of a job. Or you've experienced a broken marriage. Other estranged relationships. When we watch our body age and we feel the aches and pains of that, or when the world goes by so quickly we feel like we can't catch up to it, there is hope. And it's easy to become hopeless, but Jesus is coming again. And Peter was clear on this point. He said in 113, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. When we go into those valleys, when we struggle, just remember, Jesus is coming again. And if you believe in him, he'll take you with him. But here, As Jesus entered the holy city, the problems that he would face in the next few days began to come into focus. The people wanted a political hero, but that's not why Jesus came. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom. And so there was tension immediately, and they were unwilling to believe that his announcement would change everything. And so I'm asking you this morning, not to make the same mistake because there's too much at stake. And here's the first point I want to make is that Jesus didn't come as a political culture warrior. He came to save your soul. And this is just as relevant today as it was then. Jesus isn't here to transform government. He's here to save souls. And he wants to save your soul regardless of what party you belong to. Jesus is here to save souls, and that's why he came here as well. Now, the, the crowd thought they were finally going to be freed from the Romans, and here comes their Messiah, so they're going to celebrate like crazy. Look at verse 8 with me, and we see this all begin. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so this was A bit of a chaotic scene. Jerusalem was rife for rebellion anyway. The city was swollen because of the holy days. And so here comes Jesus, and their messianic fever was at a high pitch. And Matthew tells us that people were shouting, which literally in the Greek means to cry out, to call out, to exclaim. They were holding nothing back. But it's also ironically the same word that Matthew uses in 27, 23, as people shouted 
let him be crucified. That's how quickly things changed. And to that moment, of course, is where this earth-shaking announcement would take Jesus and led him to the cross and led him to rejection. It led him to a temporary grave. But thankfully, the, cr- the ground can't hold Jesus. Death could not stop Jesus. He rose again. And he ascended, and he is the king of the universe, and he lives today, and he's working in our world. And his kingdom changes everything forever. But you can imagine what it would have been like to stand along that roadside in this loud and chaotic scene. They were shouting, Hosanna! That was a cry for deliverance. It means, save us. The people in the crowd connected Jesus with the Messianic prophecy in Zechariah that was written in 586 B.C. So they knew all about that. Messiah was coming, and they threw garments in front of him and palm branches and sticks and whatever they could find, which is a sign that they believed he was a king, at least for the moment. They were hungry to be saved. They desperately wanted to be out from under Roman oppression. And they thought Jesus was going to be the one to do it, but they were wrong. Because that's not why Jesus came at all. He is on a spiritual mission. And he's on a spiritual mission to penetrate your heart and mind as well. And he wants to free you from the bondage of sin and death. And the question is, will you let him? Are you open to that? Are you listening to God. And Jesus didn't shy away from this mission. He had an important announcement to make. And that leads us to the second point that we see in this narrative. And that is, it really doesn't matter who culture paints him to be. Jesus is Messiah. And so regardless of what those people on the roadside believed about him, or what all of these people that rejected him believed about him, it didn't change the fact that he is Messiah, King of the world. And we, and we are going through that same kind of change in our own culture. What we believe is being mocked. God is being mocked, but it does not change who he is. And there's a couple of portions of this narrative that show especially that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Son of God. First, look at the end of verse 1 through verse 3, and here we see a clear declaration that Jesus is Messiah. And then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. And there it is, right there in verse 3. The Lord needs them. That's a clear declaration of the Lord's kingship. He didn't say the great teacher needs them. The great historical figure needs them. He didn't say a rabbi needs them. It was the Lord in Greek, Kyrios, master needs them. This wasn't just any man asking for a donkey and her colt. It was their king. But they didn't even know it. And they were going to reject him. But he did enter. 
And it came time for his entrance after he received the donkey. And here's just a quick snapshot of the road at the top of the Mount of Olives that is the traditional pathway that Jesus would have followed. And you can see that it's a very, very steep drop down here into the Kidron Valley. And it's another hike up this way into the Eastern Gate where Jesus would have entered the city. And in this next image, you can see from the Kidron Valley how Jesus would have had to travel up here through this gate, which is now walled off. At least tradition says that this cemetery here, this is a cemetery that's difficult to make out. It's a, it's a Muslim cemetery. They're well aware of the fact that Jews cannot be around. The dead cannot walk through and, and be associated with, with the dead. So they've put a cemetery there. They've walled it off. So when Messiah comes, he can't enter. But down here would be the Garden of Gethsemane. And it wouldn't be long until Jesus had to reverse his route when he was arrested and come back down into this area to pray. And that's how fast things began to turn. So verses 1 through 3 are really significant because his trip into the city fulfilled the prophecies of Zechariah and Isaiah in, in the sense that Messiah would ride in on a donkey And this really helped us understand the nature of the Lord's kingdom because he could have chosen to ride in on a horse, a white horse. This is what kings did. This is what generals that had just had victory did. They rode in with pomp and circumstance. Not Jesus. He rode in on a donkey, which was a sign of peace. Not a sign of weakness. A sign of peace. And don't we long for peace? Jesus is peace. He is our hope for peace. And so the narrative continues, and we see the strength of the Lord as he overturns tables, he healed people in the temple, and then interestingly, he allowed children, just like the ones we saw in those beautiful videos, to affirm his amazing announcement. Look at 15 through 17. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, well, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? That's a direct quote from Psalm 8. He's looking at these religious leaders and they're being all indignant. How dare you children speak up here in the temple? And Jesus looks right at them and said, you've never read this? And then Jesus then entered the temple area. He would have seen shops that sold items needed for sacrifice like animals and oil and wood. And the money changers in these shops converted standard Greek and Roman currency into this temple currency in which a half-shekel tax would have been paid. And much of this activity was dishonest, taking advantage of just worshipers that were coming during the holy days. And Jesus hated that, and he drove them out. But it wasn't a random event. Interestingly enough, the purification of the temple was also a part of this announcement. Because there was a Jewish expectation that Messiah would do exactly this. 
Passages in Malachi, Ezekiel, and Zechariah all included this cleansing of the temple. And so it wasn't like Jesus rode in and, oh, my goodness sakes, look what's going on here. I'm going to go over here and overturn some tables, then I'm going to continue on. No, it was pre-planned. It was going to happen because he was announcing himself as the king. But even after all of this, most refused to believe, which is the case in our day, too. No matter how many signs that God throws our way, no matter, no matter how many times God does miracles, people still don't believe. And so the rejection here is real. But, but it wasn't new to Jesus. If you look at 18 through 22, he previews his own rejection, providing once and for all, or proving once and for all that he's Messiah. Look at 18. In the morning, he was returning to the city, He became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? As if they've never seen miracles. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up, thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So what Jesus did here is a miracle to confirm his kingship. And he wants to do a miracle in your heart too. So maybe it's time that you open yourself up to him because here's my question. Jesus is knocking at your door. Will you let him in? And I don't only ask this question to those who don't believe. I ask this question to you if you have walked with Christ for years. Is there a part of your heart where you know that God is knocking on the door and he wants that part of you because he wants to replace it with himself? Are you willing to open the door and let him in. Here's what was happening with that fig tree. This was not the season for figs. But Jesus went to this particular tree. It stood out because it was in leaf. It had leaves on it. And so he walked over to it. And its leaves were advertising that it had fruit. Because it looked like it did. But the advertisement was false. There was no fruit on that tree. And so he cursed the tree, not because it didn't have fruit, but because it was advertising falsely. And this really is the bow that ties this narrative together. The fig tree represented Israel. And although Israel's leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were all advertising that true life was available within their religious system, Jesus was saying, that's not true. And that's where the tension was. That's why they hated him. That's why they plotted to kill him. Because he is the only source of life. He is the only source of blessing. And it's so much like the world we live in. The world is like the fig tree. It advertises fruit, and we want to chase after it. 
We, it tells us that sex will bring happiness, that, that money will, will fill you up, that you'll be satisfied by being loved by people, or that their applause will somehow carry you forward, but it's all a lie. It's not true. It's like the tree. It's advertising all kinds of wonderful things, but there's no fruit there at all. And Jesus curses this thinking. And often culture does this. Culture offers these, these wells that look so full of water, and you reach in, and it's nothing but sand, and then you're reminded, wow, God is the only one who offers true life. The prophet Jeremiah wrote just about this in the case of Israel. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So not only did they forsake God, who is the source of real water, they went and made up their own way and... They came up with nothing but sand because there's no water there. And I think back to when they carved out the idols, when, when Moses was up on the mountain. We often do that. We aren't going to wait for God. We can do our own thing. We can find a way to make our lives mean something. And then we realize, no, we can't outside of God. And so Jesus is the author of true life, but he would be rejected by Israel. I don't want you to make the same mistake. I want you to open your heart and your life to him because he is the son of God. And he came as king. And for his trouble, he was crucified on a cross for the sin of mankind. But he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. And he can work in your life. Because here's the truth of the matter. Sin has separated us from God. And we cannot be reconciled to God on our own. And that's why Jesus came. He didn't come to overthrow the Romans. He came to reconcile men, women, and children to God. And that can be done by simply repenting of sin and receiving forgiveness of sin and giving Jesus control of your life. Then he can give you eternal life and he can help transform you into the person that you long to be. And that's what the Lord's journey was all about. We, we tend to focus so much on the palms and we focus so much on the, the shouts. But what we sometimes forget is this is the beginning of Jesus' road to the cross. And that's what this week is all about. But it's also the road to the open tomb. When Jesus came there, the people were hungry, and they wanted a Messiah. They really wanted a Messiah, but not to become spiritually richer, they wanted a Messiah to free them from Roman oppression. And just like many in our culture, they just want God to make their life easier. And if God could do that, well, that's all the better. The problem is, is there was this word attached to what Jesus called people to do, and that's called sacrifice. Sacrifice and discipleship are the same thing. And so he announced himself as king. He was the one that they waited for, but they didn't believe. And they would kill him in a week. The human heart, hmm, fickle. But no matter what they say, no matter what our culture says, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the exclusive way to salvation. 
And that will never change, ever, because that's a timeless truth. And Jesus proved it by withering a fig tree. And maybe he's saying to you, you're chasing after false fruit. Like, it's advertised, but it's not there. So when are you going to turn to me? When are you going to come for real living water? You see, Jesus wrote in as Messiah because anyone who believes in him can have eternal life. And that's what I want for you. And that's why the moment of this announcement changed everything forever. So what I'd love to do is just take a moment between you and God in in the quietness of this room and think about this text. Think about what Jesus was offering. Think about that idea of false fruit, uh, of dry wells, of God knocking on your door. What is God calling you to do right now? Let's just take a moment and pray silently where we are. And then I'll pray. Lord God, we all have areas of our life that are full of pride and we don't even know that we haven't given them to you, these dark areas of our heart, but the Bible's very clear. Our hearts are deceitful, wicked, who could trust them. But here you are now coming in as king and you're saying, I can transform you. I can satisfy you. I am the source of living water, and he just wants more of us so he can give us more of himself. So I just pray, God, if there is anyone here that has not yet given their life to you and repented of sin and received that forgiveness of sin, I pray that you would stir something in their heart, stir something that changes the direction of their life, God. Provides the boldness and the courage to seek the answers to what you're stirring up inside of them. And for those of us that have walked with you for a long time, God, don't let us settle. Don't let us be complacent. God, time is short. People are making decisions every day. Hell, heaven, that's the stakes. So God, give us a thirst and a hunger for more of you. Give us a passion to be on mission. Give us that same courage, that boldness that you had when you rode into Jerusalem. But yet that same, same beautiful message of peace. And so that we do it in an honoring way, God, and we follow you and we shine a light to the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.